Today is our last sermon in the book of John. Can I get like a woohoo or something, right? Like, this is pretty amazing. Uh, two years, I think today is sermon number 75. And uh, I, I, like, I just have enjoyed this book. I don't know about you, but it's just been an amazing book to walk through. In some ways, I'm actually kind of sad. Are you guys sad? Maybe a little bit, but you're also anticipating what God has in store. We will be uh, jumping into the book of Jude and then on into the book of Genesis uh, after that. Um, but today is our last, our last sermon in the book of John. And if you remember last week, Pastor Paul talked about chapter 21 being kind of an epilogue. And the way I like to think about it is like a Marvel movie. So I love Marvel movies. Our kids... Josiah, he's like, yes. <laughs> um, well, one of the things about the Marvel movies, if you're not familiar with these, is you have to sit through the credits for a while, and, but then you get this kind of last scene, right? And it's a, it's a way, uh, you have this great movie, a climax, and just, but then there's this last sort of scene. Sometimes it's a, it's a scene that is meaningful, like, like when you see Bucky and he's hanging out in Wakanda and he's being cared for, and you're like, oh. Sometimes it's just kind of silly and funny, like the Avengers after the fight in New York City against the aliens and they're eating shawarma. And they're just kind of sitting there. Sometimes it prepares you for the next movie, right? So you're introduced to the arch-villain Thanos. And uh, there's all, but all the purpose of these end-of-credit sort of scenes is it's preparing you for something in the future, and last week, uh, we began one of these end-of-credit scenes where Jesus and his disciples are on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And if you remember back, um, Jesus miraculously displays his power by providing them 153 fish, which is just weighing their nets down. And they're just overwhelmed by, by Jesus' power. And then Jesus faithfully displays his love where he cooks breakfast for his friends around a charcoal fire, and then he restores Peter into fellowship with him and into ministry for him for the rest of his life. And if you guys remember those words just kind of echoing right now in your mind, Simon, do you love me? Feed my lamb. Simon, do you love me? Tend my sheep. Simon, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And in that moment, Peter, on the one end, is painfully reminded of his betrayal, of his, of his denying Jesus three times. But at the same time, right, just what we're saying, right? Wherever there's sin, Jesus' mercy is more. And so Jesus displays his steadfast, unrelenting, pursuing love as he, as he goes after Peter and gives him this opportunity to be restored into fellowship with him. But as we ended the sermon last week, after these really amazing words of love and this restoration, Jesus then displays and shares with Peter some very hard words. And it really is to serve as a backdrop for the rest of his life. And I actually think it would be helpful for us to go back and to read verses 18 and 19 before we jump into um, our text for today. So why don't you guys stand, if you're willing and able. Uh, we're going to jump into so John chapter 21, starting at verse 18. And this is Jesus' interaction with Peter. He says this. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. 
This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to Peter, follow me. Peter then turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at table close to him and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that his disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. There are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And this concludes the reading of God's word, the very end of the gospel of John. May God use it to write his truths onto our heart and compel us to follow after Jesus wherever he leads. You guys are maybe seated. So today's sermon is entitled, The Call to Follow Jesus. The Call to Follow Jesus. And we've got two points this morning. Following Jesus is hard. Following Jesus is worth it. Following Jesus is hard, but following Jesus is worth it. And here's the big idea. It, Jesus calls us to follow after him, and it's, it's going to be a hard road, just like it was for Peter, but it is totally worth it. So first, following Jesus is hard. In this passage, Peter is told by Jesus a couple of times, hey, follow me. First time he's like, hey, get up. Uh, I want you to follow me along the shore. And then a little bit later, he says, follow me again. And this is not a new calling for Peter. In fact, if you remember back to John chapter 1, Peter and his brother Andrew, James and John, they're all along the shore and, and, and probably the same shore, Sea of Galilee. And Jesus says, hey, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so they heard his teachings, and they, they, they dropped their nets, and they, they left their livelihood. They, they, they left their family, and they said, you know, we're going to follow Jesus wherever he goes. And for the next year, three years, that's what they did. They, they, they heard Jesus' teachings again and again. They, they watched his miracles. They witnessed his compassion on the rich and the poor, the, the lame and the blind, the Jew and the Gentile. And they just said, we want to keep following you. They even heard Jesus' words. Whenever he told the disciples, hey, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. I'm sure they were a little bit confused about what that really meant. But now, it's one thing to hear the master say that, but it's another thing for the master to actually follow that call to be crucified and put to death. And so, now that they're not just hearing this call to follow, they're actually seeing Jesus and how he followed that cross all the way to the end. This message to Peter to follow Jesus takes on new and deeper and fuller meaning for him. And the rest of Peter's life is lived in the shadow of the cross that one day he would be put to death on, just like that same thing was meant for Jesus when he lived in the shadow of the cross. 
Following Jesus is hard. And while most of us, if not all of us, are not going to be put to death for following Jesus, at the same time, each of us has a very personal cross to carry. And there's going to be times in our lives where we're going to experience these personalized sort of crucifixions. And so I was thinking about this, just what this could look like in our day-to-day life. Um, I drop off Abigail to school or I pick her up from school at Childs and I was thinking about you students who are walking along campus and you're hearing cuss words left and right and you're, you're seeing fellow students cheat on tests in order to make a better grade. You're seeing immorality all around you and you're, you're hearing that the Bible is a fairy tale. It is hard to follow Jesus. Or parents, when you were trying to point your kids to Jesus as the only truth, when the world says that there is no absolute truth, that's hard. And when when you're trying to teach them humility and self-sacrifice for the sake of those around you, and yet the world is is holding up the value of pride and self-assertion and do whatever you want no matter what anyone tells you, that is really hard. It's hard to bear the cross of physical pain when we're struggling and we're hurting and our back aches and our, and our heart aches when it's weak and we've got all these different physical ailments that we have to go through. Or we have a spouse who is physically disabled or a kid who is enduring a lot of physical pain. That is hard not to lose hope and to give up. It's hard to follow Jesus. Or if you have a, a boss who is telling you to work all the time and to sacrifice and to lay at the altar of your work, to lay your family at the altar there. You've got to keep working and keep trying harder and harder in order order to move up the ladder, in order to be able to provide for your family. Or even worse, your boss tells you to be dishonest so that you can make a better profit. That is hard to follow Jesus. The list just goes on and on. I'm sure you can think of many examples right now where you're like, yeah, yeah, it's hard. It's, it's, like, it's like I'm just swimming upstream against the world and against, my, against the enemy, Satan, and against even my own flesh that would tell me to lose heart and to give up hope. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, says this. He says, the cross is laid on every Christian. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. So when Jesus is calling us to follow after him, and he's calling Peter to follow after him, it is not just a cross at the end. It's a cross throughout our lives. We're constantly having to die to self and live to God. And that is not easy. I'm not sure about you, but, but I am often tempted, especially in the hard places of life, to do exactly what Peter does, right? So he's like, uh, what about him? You know, he kind of turns his, his shoulder and he looks back. He takes his eyes off of Jesus. He's like, this is too painful. I, like, what about, what about him? What about this man? And we begin to compare ourselves and our circumstances and our worth and our value and all of these things. We begin to compare them to others. Let me ask you this question real quick. Is it wrong necessarily to do that? Is it wrong to compare? No. In fact, um, the Apostle Paul says, we gave you in ourselves an example 
to imitate. 2 Thessalonians 3, 9. An imitation requires comparison, right? If we're going to compare ourselves, we, we, have to look, we have to look at what's going on with the other person in order to imitate them. Abigail Dodds, in a great post on Desiring God, she says this. Uh, and by the way, this is a great post. It talks about parenting. So it says, comparison is a, is a fundamental part of being human. Not only is it impossible to opt out of comparing, but God actually wants us to do it. Comparing is how we discover what holiness is. It's also how we know what we ought to be like. God's laws and instructions fundamentally help us to see what we are and are not, what we should and shouldn't be. They also help us see how we measure up to others so that we can either imitate them or do the opposite of them. This is not sin. It's actually essential to growth and health as Christians. So is it sometimes okay to compare? Absolutely. But in this passage, there seems to be something else that's going on. I mean, Jesus jumps right on to Peter. Now, some commentators, they'll, they'll say, like, oh, Peter was just being a good friend. He was just concerned about John and, you know, what was going to go on in his life. And I'm sure that there may have been some of that. But you know what's going on in Peter's heart, right? What about him? What about him? You know, Paul, last week, he talked about how this, this call to the cross was a sense of commendation upon Peter that he was going to be faithful to the end, and that was a source of encouragement to them. And I think that's absolutely true, absolutely. But at the same time in this place, Peter is coming to the reality of suffering. And in that pain, Peter wants to take the spotlight, that painful spotlight, off of his own heart and to deflect and put it on someone else. Matthew Henry, he says, Peter is quick-sighted abroad and dim-sighted at home. He's like, I just want to look at anyone and every, anyone else. How can I take the attention off of me? Can you guys relate to that? Well, maybe if, uh, if John's pain is as bad as my pain, then I'll feel better about my pain. Um, I wish I could say that Peter is alone in this, but we are all tempted to live in this way. When life gets hard, we begin to look at those around us and we say, well, what about him or, or what about her? We all seem to have this habit of like measuring ourselves up based on pain or then we begin to, 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 to connect that to our worth or our value, how good we're doing, our performance towards others. We I, I don't know about you, but I have this kind of like internal grid in my head that I'm constantly measuring myself on a one to ten sort of scale. And I walk with Jesus. Where would I put that? Maybe a four, maybe a five. You know, my, my parenting, especially in those times of like real messing up as a mom or a dad. I don't know how I'm doing on that one. Maybe I'll look at others and see how they're doing. Maybe I'll feel better about myself. My job. How am I doing at you know, completing my tasks or my studies at school? My purity, how am I doing compared to others? My sacrifices for Jesus, am I really doing enough? What about my physical pain? What about their physical pain? And so we just, we just are constantly looking around us. And when we are, we're looking at others and we're, we're seeing, ah, I, I'm doing pretty well in this area, well, then we, we feel better. Or if we look at others and we're doing worse than them, then it brings us low. Well, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, this is what he says. He says, pride is essentially competitive. 
It gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. It's the pleasure of being above all the rest. I remember when I first came on staff as a pastor, I just wanted to prove myself. And so I would often compare myself to others to kind of gauge how I was doing. And I, I, would, I would meet with people all the time to try, to try to show that I was a better pastor maybe than other people who weren't meeting as much. Or when I was um, uh, coming up with a new ministry program, I would kind of look at others and, was well, my program better than theirs? Or if I preached a better sermon than other young guys, I felt better about myself. And that pride would just well up within me. But I also have to admit that there are many times, especially when I was not doing well, that the opposite happened. You know, when I hear a John Piper sermon, I'm like, well, there's no way I could ever do that. Or if I read, you know, a a, a book by Paul Tripp, and I'm like, I don't have insights like he does. It makes you start to feel lower or more discouraged. Instead of celebrating those around me, I compare and I either step up in pride or I feel really low in discouragement. John Bloom, he talks about this. If, this, if you can relate to this side of the, the equation, the, kind of the other side of the coin. We can tell this is happening in us when we look at others and don't see the grace of God, but reflections of our own inferiority. We don't see them as windows into God's glory, but as mirrors into which we are asking, who's the fairest one of all? And we know it's not us. The resulting discouragement becomes like an iron ball on our spiritual leg, making it very hard to run. You guys ever feel in that place where you're comparing yourselves to others and you just feel really weighed down? Like, ah. I'm not good enough. I just mess up, messed up royally again. Or I'm not, I'm not smart enough. Or I'm not gifted like they are. I don't have the skills like they do. There is no win in comparison. We put ourselves at the center. Teddy Roosevelt says, comparison is the thief of joy. When we are constantly looking to and fro to find our worth and value. So what do you do? What do I do when it's really hard to follow Jesus and we're tempted to look all around rather than to keep our eyes on him? And we begin to lose heart. We maybe even say, you know what? Maybe I should just kind of give up. If I'm going to mess up, I might as well mess up royally. That leads us to point number two. So following Jesus is not only hard, but following Jesus is worth it. In response to Peter's wandering eyes where he's looking back, what about John? Jesus gives Peter some very simple but insightful and helpful words. He says, hey, what is that to you? You follow me. You follow me, Peter. And based on that quick phrase, you follow me, I want to hold out for you two reasons why it's worth it to follow Jesus. We're actually going to start at the end, the me part. So first, it's worth it to follow Jesus because of the worth of Jesus. 
Jesus says, keep your eyes on me. I wonder if in that moment, you know, Peter and Jesus, they lock eyes again. And maybe Jesus goes back and he remembers back to the last time that he kind of took his eyes off of Jesus. If you remember back, he's walking, Jesus is walking on the water. It's kind of a storm that's out there and Jesus is walking on the water and, 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 and they, the disciples realize it's Jesus. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, let me, let me come out to you on the water. And of course, Jesus says, well, come, come. The waves are rocking, the storm is raging And Peter keeps his eyes on Jesus. And as he does that, he takes one step and then another step and then another step. He's keeping his eyes on Jesus. And it's amazing. He's experiencing the miraculous work that Jesus has for him. But then, what what does Peter do? He takes his eyes off of Jesus. He starts to look at the storms around him. He becomes distracted. He becomes overwhelmed. And then he begins to sink. When life gets hard, we can tend to take our eyes off of Jesus, don't we? Right? But Jesus reminds us, he says, hey, hey, look at me. Look at me. I love you. I gave my life for you. I forgave you. I will lead you. I'm not going to call you to go to a place that I haven't already been. I am with you every step of the way. So keep your eyes on me. And remember who this me is that we're talking about. Think back on our study of John, and I'm sure Peter and the other disciples, they probably are thinking back on who Jesus is and all that he's done. Jesus says, I am the word. I'm not only from God, I am God. And I spoke the world into existence, and I uphold the universe by the word of my power. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that's promised by the prophets of old to come and rescue my people from their sin. And my father so loved the world that he sent me. I'm the light of the world. I remove darkness. I remove uncertainty. I remove confusion. And I bring life and light to all those who trust in me. I'm the healer. I restore the sick. I restore the blind, the lame, the dumb. I'm the bread of life. I multiply bread and fish and fed thousands. But more than that, I satisfy the spiritual hunger of your soul. I'm the living water who not only meets you at your point of greatest need, but washes you clean and gives you refreshment and gives you satisfaction so much so that I'm the spring of water springing up to give you life and to give you a new mission in life like the Samaritan woman. I'm sovereign over nature. I tell the wind and the storms to stop and they obey me. I'm the resurrection and the life, and I even raise the dead. I bring hope out of hopeless situations and remind you that there is never anything too dead that I cannot bring it back to life. I'm the shepherd of the weak, the tired, the clueless, and the insignificant, and I call my sheep by name, and they hear my voice, and they follow me. And not only that, but I protect my sheep from the wolves, and I will lay down my life for my sheep. I love my fiercest enemies and I forgive and restore those who deny me. I love completely undeserving sinners like Peter and the man crucified next to me on the cross and tell him, hey, enter with me into paradise. 
I'm perfect in my obedience. I'm humble in my service. I'm, I'm preeminent in all things. And I am the hope of all nations. I am who I am. This is me, Peter, that you're talking with. This is me, Peter, who I want you to look at. And this is not only Jesus who calls Peter, but to you and me as well. And he's saying, hey, look at my eyes of love and see me calling you. He, he wants Peter and he wants us to feel the weight and the wonder of who is speaking to him, who's speaking to us. R. Kent Hughes, he shares this great story. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a story from ancient Mideastern history. And it kind of captures what's going on between Peter and Jesus right now. Um, as the story goes, Cyrus, he's this great conqueror of the then known world. And he had a general, a general under his authority whose wife was accused of treason. And so she ended up um, being arrested and tried before the tribunal. She was found guilty and she was sentenced to death. And so before Cyrus, this pronouncement of the sentence of death is given to her. And at that point, the woman's husband kind of makes his way through the crowd and he stands before Cyrus, the king. And he says, King Cyrus, please let me take her place. And so Cyrus, in awe of what was transpiring before him, he says to the court, can can anyone, can anyone tell me not to, to, to give this opportunity to display love for a long time? Like, could I, could I terminate the love that's been displayed here? And so Cyrus lessened the sentence and he entrusted the, the wife into the husband's care for the rest of her life. And as the couple leaves the court, the general, um, the husband says to his wife, he says, hey, did you see the benevolent look in Cyrus's eyes as he pardoned you? And the wife responded, I only had eyes for the one who loved me enough that he was willing to die for me. That's what's going on here. Jesus is saying, hey, keep your eyes on me. Keep looking at me. And I wonder even in that point, and maybe if even Peter's mind went back to John chapter 6, if you guys remember that when there's lots of people who are leaving Jesus, it is hard, and, they're, and they're saying hard things, and they're like, we're out of here. And Jesus looks at the disciples, and he says, will you, will you leave me too? And then what does Peter say? He says, no, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. So Jesus says, come follow me because I am worth it. I love you. I gave my life for you. I am the King of kings and Lord of lords. And wherever I call you, I'll be with you. But here's a really important thing to remember. Um, we don't want to get these things mixed up, okay? So the call to follow Jesus is first initiated by Jesus himself. So Jesus always begins with his calling, with his love and his grace towards us. It's not, hey, go do all these works and follow after me, and then I'll love you. No, it's I love you, I've pursued you, I've forgiven you, I've cleansed you. Now, walk in these works that I've prepared for you. If you 
let love kind of for Jesus kind of move out of the center of your life and you let other things motivate you, whether it's people or it's um, just trying to prove yourself or whatever it is, then you're going to become discouraged and become depressed and you're going to burn out following him. But if you keep Jesus and his amazing worth and his love for you at the center, then we're going to follow him into some amazing works that he's prepared for us to do. So reason number one, it's worth it to follow Jesus because of the worth of Jesus and his love for you and me. Reason number two, it's worth it to follow Jesus because of the works of Jesus that he does through you and me. Remember Jesus says, he says, not just you follow me, but you follow me. In other words, don't worry about John. Yes, I've got some amazing plans for him. But Peter, I've got some awesome plans for you based on your unique personality, your unique skills, your unique experience, your unique gifting. I've got some amazing plans for you. And yes, it is going to be hard. But Peter, it is worth it. It's worth it to follow me. Trust in me. Keep your eyes on me. Don't lose heart. Know that every single thing I've put before you, I've prepared for you personally to walk in. And what did Peter do? He followed Jesus. And I wonder if for many years after that, when he was tempted to look around, especially when life was tough, if he remembered, oh, oh wait, I've got to keep my eyes on Jesus. I don't want to focus on other people's plans, on what other people God has prepared for them. I've got to keep my eyes focused on what he has prepared for me. And so for the next 35 years, Peter was indeed faithful to that call. If you remember Pentecost, right? He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he proclaims the good news to 4,000 many people and 4,000 people were saved on that day. He served with other apostles to establish his, the church at Jerusalem and to lead that church. Later, he, he helped and came alongside of many other churches as they were planted. He wrote letters to them. He visited them. And then one day, yes, he did die a martyr's death on a cross, testifying that Jesus was worth it all. Peter did it. And what about John? You know, we kind of have this Sort of like at the end of the book here, we've got this other secret scene. Marvel, right? They have two secret scenes now. So this is the second secret scene. Um, they have this other sort of secret end of credits scene where you see John almost like with his, he's writing, maybe by candlelight, and he's just finishing up the gospel of John. He's finishing up these last words. And we're given a glimpse into his ministry and what he's been up to. He too followed the call of Jesus and we read here as he, as he kind of recounts it. So he says, hey, I was, I was right there following Peter. And I wonder if even John heard the words that were given to Peter and said, oh, yeah, I don't want to focus on Peter. I want to focus on my calling, on my path, on the way that God has led me. And he says, I, the one who had been reclining at table close to Jesus, the one who said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? John is communicating, hey, that's me. And that moment at the Last Supper where he lays his head on the breast of Jesus, 
I wonder if that was just a special sweet moment where he really felt the love of Jesus. And he said, yeah, Jesus is worth it to follow because he really loves me too. Loves Peter, loves me too. And then he moves on and what does he say? In verse 24, he says, This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. So John is saying, hey, just like Peter was faithful to his call to be an apostle and to extend the, the, the purpose of the gospel and even to be put to death, I have fulfilled my calling too. I have written a number of books. I'm finishing up this gospel of John. I'm, I'm writing the book of Revelation. And, and even though I haven't died a martyr's death, I have, I have in many ways died to self and lived to Christ over and over and over and over again. And it's been worth it. It's been worth it. And by the way, he says, hey, and guys, that, that rumor about me uh, living forever before, you know, or, or living until Jesus comes back. That's just a rumor. Don't worry about that. That's not true. I, am, I have lived a long life, but I'm going to die, but I'm going to live forever with Jesus. And all those who follow Jesus will live with him too. So, so stay strong. Follow after me. And I, and I wonder if in this place, um, John is saying, hey, Peter, he looked at Jesus the worth of Jesus, the love of Jesus, and he followed into the works of Jesus. Me, I, I know that Jesus loves me, and I've followed Jesus into the works that he's prepared for, beforehand for me to do, and it's not just us. Verse 25, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. It's almost like he pans out and you begin to see these scenes all over the world of people saying, Jesus is worth it to follow. He loves me, and he's prepared works for me to walk in. Jesus is worth it. He kind of says, hey, I want, I, want you to, I want you to trust that the works that, that I have prepared beforehand for you to do are exactly for you. They're for you. The gifts that God's given to you are specific to your calling to follow after him. And I love, too, the friendship of, of Peter and John, how they partner together. If you'll look at the book of Acts, they're, they're often seen together. They're content with the calling that each one of them has received, and they're partnering together, they're friends together. And in the same way, John is saying, hey, guys, as you keep your eyes on Jesus as you're following after him, as you're, as you're pursuing the works that he has called you to, we are in this together. We are a community of believers walking and following after Jesus, keeping our eyes fixed on him. We each have a life to live and a book to write where Jesus is the hero. So what about you? What about me? How will we follow Jesus, wherever he leads. And while the call to follow Jesus may be hard, it's totally worth it. How is Jesus calling you to follow him today? Maybe it's to share the good news or to serve your neighbors. Maybe it's to remain faithful to your spouse, even when it's hard. Maybe it's to serve the needy and those who are underprivileged to care for them. Maybe it's 
not to give in to temptation when you're so tempted to do it, whether it's immorality, sexually, or greed, or lying, or anger, or gossip, or whatever it might be. Maybe it's to start a new ministry or a business to bless others. Maybe it's to take a child into your home through adoption or foster care. Maybe it's to forgive someone who has really hurt you. Maybe it's to go to the mission field, to serve him the rest of your life overseas. Maybe it's today for the first time ever to trust in Jesus and to be baptized like we're going to have in just a few moments. Whatever God's call is to you, he says, keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me. Lift up your gaze and look to the one who loves you and gave his life for you. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and one day he is coming again. Be faithful to that call. Be faithful to your call until you see the face of the me who beckons you to follow after him. Amen? Let's pray.